We are so thankful you decided to take time out of your day to listen to this sermon. Central to all of our services is gospel-centered teaching led by our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Warren. Together, we are a church that seeks to follow Jesus every day, and we hope you are drawn closer to Christ as a result of this message. You can turn to uh, the book of 2 Timothy. So good to see you today. I want to say a uh, shout out to everybody who's outside the room. We got lots of folks who are watching um, out in the, in the hallways here and in the Coral Hall. Maybe you're watching live on our YouTube channel or sometime later. We're glad that you're here today, and especially all of you guests who've been welcomed already. Um, my name's Jeff, and uh, I just want to point you to, to Jesus today. So um, I've been asking a lot of questions about the Bible to a lot of people, um, and I've discovered that a lot of people like me uh, through the years, a lot of us struggle with the Bible. You ever wrestled with the Bible? Can we talk about that? Can we say that here? Uh, the Bible's intimidating, right? You don't know where to start. Some of us question the reliability of it because there's the, you know, miracles and things that take place that maybe we haven't seen in our lifetime or wonder, is that for real? And was it passed on through the, through the ages? What's that all about? We're going to talk about some of that. In fact, I'm going to kind of go stream of consciousness on you a little bit here at the beginning to talk about some of the struggles or wrestling that I have done and kind of come to. Um, the truth is a lot of us have relegated uh, Bible reading and understanding of Scripture to other people. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, there's, there's a tension there because you're here because you need to hear from someone who actually has studied the scriptures all week long and really throughout my life. I've been in the word all my life. Some of you have been. Um, and it's good to hear from folks who maybe have some understanding. But if that's all that you do, some of us get an email. I noted last week, you, you know, from somebody or some devotional or you read some devotional that has a little scripture on it. Then you read their take on it and what, how God spoke to them about it. And you go, that's awesome. I'm going to take that on myself. And we have this kind of secondhand faith, the kind of hand-me-down faith that will never allow you to prevail in real life. We send our kids off to college with a kind of hand-me-down, secondhand faith. We wonder why, you know, we struggle so much. Are you in the Word? Do you read the Bible? Because here's the deal. We've got a problem with the Bible. We don't read the Bible. That's our problem. And, and, and so today what I want to do is help you to trust the Bible, to, to appreciate the Bible more than you do sitting here right now. So if you listen in carefully, I think this is going to, going to be a powerful message for you. Um, throughout the years, I have wrestled, you know, with, with the question that I want us to ask today. My goal today here is to speak to all of you left brain types, modern types, postmodern, right brain types. And I want to ask this question, can we trust the Bible? Can we really trust the Bible? In theological circles, um, there's debate over a high view of Scripture. It's called up against a low view of Scripture. Now, everybody thinks they have the high view of Scripture is how that goes. And, and, and what we think is, I, I know, like I've been asked through the years, do you take the Bible literally? And that's a, that's a huge question. I mean, a very pointed question to a giant a topic. I'm going to address it a little bit today. Because I, I, some of you know, I have a doctorate actually in apologetics and this ability to answer questions. And I love getting into conversation with people. And I, I did so this week a couple times out in community. And I love having conversation with people. I've learned that the best apologetic now, uh, the, the question is the new answer. Uh, to question people. And it helps you understand them and listen by grace. And anybody that's not following the truth of God's word, they end up in a corner every time. 
And they kind of get there on their own. And, and so you don't have to know all the answers. But, but I used to believe and actually kind of came out of seminary with, with a kind of approach that says, you know, this literal kind of rigid approach. And then I can answer your questions and I can prove that you're wrong and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of truth in the Bible that is rigid. And God didn't give us 10 suggestions. He gave us 10 commandments, right? And there's a way to heaven, and Jesus says there's only one way. I mean, there's some pretty clear stuff in the Bible, but what I've come to appreciate and understand is that a high view of Scripture actually respects the genre, the type of literature, respects the person, uh, the original intent of the writer, kind of understand the context. I think a lot of people look at the creation narrative that we've been reading not too long ago, and as we walk through the book of Genesis, a lot of people approach that like a science text. That's not the intent. And so we put on Moses, we put on the writers a kind of modern cosmology instead of a Hebrew cosmology or understanding of the universe. And we think we got it figured out when actually the, the, the Bible writers were inspired by God. They are expressing a lot more that can run much deeper than a science text, right? And so with a doctorate in apologetics, I think I came out of seminary able to defend and challenge maybe one point of Scripture. And as I've gotten older, I've learned to approach Scripture with a lot more humility and actually wrestle with it and realize I'm not going to get all the answers. I don't think, for instance, one of my favorite books, some of you know, uh, as I've grown older, is the book of Job. I don't think I'm going to figure out the book of Job. I mean, I don't think I'm just going to go, got it. Now, let me, you know, I need to go teach on it or something. Because the book of Job is actually poetry. Poetry and art runs deeper than just mere facts along the way. And what you realize when you read books like Job is that you don't read the Bible. The Bible reads you. Because it's alive, it's inspired, it's the Word of God. What would you anticipate? What would you expect from a book, a collection of books that is inspired by God? It wouldn't read like other books. It wouldn't be the same. In fact, Lord Tennyson, who was the poet laureate during the Victorian era, he said that the book of Job was the greatest piece of literature of all time. That's, that's quite a statement. One of the oldest pieces of literature ever. And yet we wrestle with it. Maybe we just have kind of given up. Some of us, because we think, I can't figure this out. You know, the poetry, like music or like the Psalms, it's not written to, to break down analytically. It's, it's art. It draws you in. It draws you in, and then it wears you out. It reads you. And I've come to realize that a high view of Scripture is to respect the genre of certain books, and most importantly, to understand that it is a revelation. It's from God. And we've got to understand, approach the Bible with great humility. And when we don't understand it, don't write it off. And we need to be able to read the word privately, personally. We need to be able to do so in, in conversations. I want us constantly as a church family to be talking about the word. When you have questions, ask. But you need to be doing this in community, friends. This was never just given, you know, kind of a specific book for you to read. And then, bam, beam me up, Lord, someday. It's, be, it's to be done in community. So all of you who are in connect groups and Bible study, I affirm you for doing that. Because the Bible was never intended for you to simply read and then go, like someone said in the video, in my personal opinion. No, it's to be done in the context of the body, of the church, 
The Word of God is alive. I think our children help us a lot. I was talking to kids recently. I had a kid say, hey, I don't like that story of, of Abraham and Isaac. I was like, well, I, I don't like that story either. I don't like that story of Noah. I like all the animals. But everybody dies. We're not supposed to like that story. Sometimes we hide certain stories from kids, right? I don't think we can handle that one. You know? And it's probably truth to some of that. But what we see is the Midrash is a, it's an ancient commentary of the, of the old Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. And in it, you realize that there's this, it's really interesting. It's a joyful, kind of humble, playful approach to scripture. And it's one of joy and wonder. And we need to get back to a childlike faith and sensitivity when it comes to, to coming to the scripture, a childlike openness. Jesus said we need to be like that. And when you approach the scriptures that way, you start to see yourself in it. We think about the, the story of the prodigal son, if you know that story. We read the story. We end up loving the younger brother who is so jacked up. And then he comes back to the father. And we hate the older brother. And then, this is when, when I was reading this some years ago, and I go, wait, wait, wait. Oh, wait. I'm the older brother. I see what you did there, Jesus. <laughs> Savage Jesus coming after me. I mean, every now and then you read it and go, that's about me. The whole story is you're trying so hard not to be like the younger brother that you become like the older brother. And he just hooks you in. See, that's the thing. Parables, though in historical settings, they're stories, right? Some of them may be true stories, but most of them are Jesus telling a story. And, and, and it's not, not necessarily specifically historical or, or literal, but it's some of the most powerful teaching in the Bible for me and maybe for you. The greatest truths I've learned in Scripture have come through the parables. And my point is this. Something doesn't have to be literal or even specifically historical to be true. The Word of God is more powerful than your math text or, or some historical or some you know, textbook on, on history. There is history. It is history. And it is true across the board, but it goes beyond any science text that we might want to put it. I've, I've always wanted to put the Bible in a little box. And I go to two extremes. Some people say, well, if it's not scientific or literal or can't you know, answer all the questions, then it's not historically viable. And I can't. It doesn't mean anything to me. A lot of people do that. A lot of Christians do that. And we, we think, well, I, I just I don't know if I can trust the Bible. I noted last week, some of us, you maybe seen the bumper sticker. Um, the Bible says it. Uh, I believe it. That settles it. Right. The truth is, no, the Bible says that you interpret it. Then you believe it or not. That settles it. We need to understand. We need to learn how to approach the scriptures with, with less rigidity and certainty and with great humility. I think of um, Israel. How about that? Jacob literally wrestles with God. And he would become the representative of an emerging nation that would wrestle with God throughout their history. So if you wrestle with the Bible, if you wrestle with Scripture, that's okay. But don't let your doubt become unbelief. Just like we challenge you, don't let temptation become sin. Don't let doubt become unbelief. Wrestle with it. Stay in it. Stay at it. And for all of us who are reading the Scripture through this year, stay at it. And for those of you who are not, today would be a good day to jump in. Join us. You can see where we are, even in our bulletin today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. 
We won't have time to unpack this whole text. We did so last week, in fact. So I'm going with part two, kind of a flyby and a different approach here. A lot of people think that the Bible's been embellished or twisted over time. I had somebody tell me one time that, you know, Shakespeare wrote a good portion of the Bible. No, he didn't. No. Uh, college graduate telling me this. And so the Bible comes out swinging when we challenge the inspiration of it. I want to show you how it does so. Look at what it says in chapter 3, 16, 17. All, everybody say all. 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 Okay, Greek word apos. It means, apos means all or every bit. All scripture. And then begs the question, wait, what scripture? We'll talk about that. Is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for, re for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, if you're tracking with me here, if you're a skeptic, you're going, wait, so that's, that's circular reasoning, though. The Bible is claiming to be inspired by God. Not circular reasoning if it can prove that it is. And I'm going to lay out kind of an apologia today because I believe the Word of God is the Word of God. It's inspired. See, if I were to tell you, uh, hey, gang, I'm Superman, you don't say, eh, our pastor's gone nuts. We knew it was happening. It was, he was kind of leaning that way all along. He's gone crazy. Uh, until I say, after church, y'all, we've got, we got lunch for you on the lawn, and uh, y'all come out and watch me leap over the steeple in a single bound. It's going to happen. I go out and actually do that. And then I run faster than a speeding bullet. And then I go stiff arm all the cars on Northwest Highway, stop all of them. Y'all might go, he might be Superman, right? If I can prove that I am. The Bible says, hey, you, come on, come, come. It says, actually it says, taste and see. Check this out. See if it's not the word of God. And many people do not approach the Bible with humility and it proves that it is. I want to lay down some facts for you, but the main thing I want to talk about today is this. The entire Bible points to Jesus Christ. That's what's helped me so much. The whole Bible points. So when you're walking through Leviticus and you're going, man, this is a bloody religion. And you're going, wait, wait, this is pointing to the ultimate sacrifice. In numbers. And you go, wow, those two, two guys just stepped into the presence of God and he zapped them. Like mosquitoes or something. What is up with that? God is holy. We can't come into his presence. And then Jesus shows up. He rescues us from our sins and bridges the gap so we can. The whole Bible points to Christ. It's why Jesus said in John 5, verse 39 and 40. We noted this last week if you were here. You search the scriptures. You're talking to the Pharisees, people who, you know, like a lot of us, say, I, I get this. I understand scripture. I've been studying it. Because you think that in them you're going to have eternal life. You're going to find life in the book itself, when actually the book is a conduit, it actually, you go through the book and it points to me, he says. And yet you refuse to come to me, the one who fulfills all of Scripture. So look at this. All Scripture then, let's break it down. All Scripture, this is the canon. Maybe you've heard that word before. It's the authoritative standard. The why 66 books? No doubt you've asked that question. And why didn't some other make it in? That kind of thing. I've talked to people who said, you know, sure enough, it's been passed on along the way. That's not what's been happening. Here's the truth. Our Old and New Testament books have been considered authoritative throughout history. They received immediate acceptance from the start. Now, the Old Testament, the ancient Jews broke down the Old Testament in what's called the Tanakh. It's kind of an acrostic Torah. Uh, is, the, is the tea piece, the Tanakh, the, the Nevahim is the prophets, and the Ketuvim is the writings. The Tanakh is very old. 450 B.C. it was established. 
And it's quoted 300 times in the New Testament, the Old Testament, essentially. And Jesus didn't argue over the reliability of the Old Testament. He didn't need to. It was, it was a non-issue. It was the Word of God. And then we see the New, the, the New Testament, the Gospels, uh, the you know, book of Acts, uh, Paul's letters. They were all authoritative by 100 A.D. Now, I could argue that in real time, immediately, they, the letters were starting to be sent out and, and eyewitnesses were pulling all this together but the Archbishop of Rome, a guy named Clement, he quoted from just about every New Testament um, uh, writing in 96 AD as authoritative. Um, and and uh, Athanasius, who was the Bishop of, um, of Alexandria, or you've heard of Jerome or, or Augustine, they quote, all of them quoted the New Testament as authoritative. We know that John wrote the book of Revelation right about 90 AD. This is real time in antiquity. And so we don't have this passing on. We have the original text and languages. So the apocryphal writings, some of you wonder about that. They're written in 200, 100 BC. Um, they were not included in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Jerome's translation of the Vulgate, the Latin, what's called the Vulgate, uh, not given equal authority. That was in, by, by 380, it was clearly not authoritative. It wasn't voted in, if you will, by the Catholic Church. Don't want to diss or throw rocks at the Catholic Church. But back in the day, 1546, at the Council of Trent, they said, here, the apocryphal writings are included in Scripture. And if you've ever read them like I have, there's a distinct difference between the Holy Scriptures and the apocryphal writings. So the quantity and consistency of the manuscripts are unparalleled. Now go geek on me here with me. The, the way you measure, think about it. Some of you have heard this study before, but or, or this aspect of the study, you, you measure any authenticity or reliability of ancient works by how many manuscripts you have. That is how many, not the autographs, we don't have Paul's writings as far as we know, but manuscripts written in the original language that he wrote in, okay, Koine Greek in the New Testament, for instance. But you have then the proximity of time. How close to time, when we think it was originally written, do we have the manuscripts, right? That would, that would claim then it's more reliable. The Bible blows out every piece of literature in, in antiquity by a long shot. 500, I mean, 5,500 manuscripts in the original language, far more than any book during that time or even previously, more than, more than is necessary. And it's in real time that these, these, these works were being circulated. There are fragments of scripture that date all the way back to 100 AD. We've got what's called Papyrus P52, all right? It's, um, it's a portion of the book of John that is dated about 100 A.D., and we know then, again, that's right about the time that he actually wrote it. Some of you know that the Dead Sea Scrolls you've heard about. Some of you young people may not have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. It was discovered in this Qumran community, it was called, and you can see it here. I've been to this site, actually. Um, the Dead Sea Scrolls were, uh, were found in 1947. The amazing thing about the Dead Sea Scrolls is that it catapulted the date that we had. This Qumran community lived there about 150, 50 BC. And, and, and we found, they found jars of every Old Testament uh, book, except for Esther, but they found jars of the scriptures. And it catapulted the earliest ones we had by 1,100 years. And so begs the question, right? Hey, what we have way out here, more than a millennia later, how does it match up? Gang, listen, word for word. The only nuances were in letters like we would have in Old English, like the word honor, H-O-N-O-R, H-O-N-O-U-R, it was spelled. 
Nothing that would impact the text or the meaning of the text. Incredible accuracy is the point. If you struggle with that aspect of it all, the Bible is not passed on over time. We have the original languages we're drawing from. Archaeology has proven the historical accuracy of the books. Just continue to geek out with me for a minute. More than 25,000 sites have been proven, found, that are in the Old Testament. Dr. Nelson Gluick, he's the, he's the greatest modern archaeologist. He's a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi and a scholar. And he says this, look at what he says. No archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historical statements in the Bible. And watch this. By, way, by the same token, proper evaluation of the biblical descriptions has often led to amazing discoveries. The Bible is pointing us to places and things that we're discovering. It's what my friend uh, Stan Thebod, who's an attorney, he, he says, in the world of jurisprudence, this is called a waste of judicial economy. The attorneys would know. It's like, it's like the 400 plus, uh, 500 plus witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. You don't need that many. We have more than enough. So if you're, you know, if you're wondering, questioning the reliability of the Bible, here's, here's the thing. Charles Dickens said it this way. Men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. See, the problem is not, here's what I've discovered. I talk to people who have intellectual problems with uh, the Bible. I, I get that. But after some of those barriers are broken down, which I'm trying to do today, you don't, we don't have intellectual problems with the Bible. We have moral problems with the Bible. Our problem is, it's a problem of the will, a problem of the heart. Because the Bible points us to truth. The Bible points us to Jesus. The point of the Bible, the entire Bible, points us to Christ, right? Now think about this, friends. 66 books over a period of 1,600 years, 40 different authors, three different languages, three different continents from different walks of life, different emotional states, different occupations, and yet the whole thing points to one story, one person, How do you respond when I just throw the Bible on the floor? A little bit of anger? Anybody? Wait, that's the Holy Bible. What are you doing? I got about 20 other Bibles in my office. Now, this is my favorite Bible. How legit is it that Bibles come leather, by the way? Where do you see that? Now, you're going to leave and say, our pastor threw the Bible on the floor. Friends, listen. If you claim or think that this, this is the Word of God and you put it on your shelf and you don't read it, how about this? You're prostituting it off for something that it was never intended to be. This is the Word of God. You can say, well, Jeff, we'll take care of it. Don't be throwing it around. Listen, this is ink, paper, and leather. Unless I read it as the Word of God and I apply it to my life, it changes everything. It changes my life. So what you're doing, if you're not reading, no, what I do when I don't read the Bible or don't obey it, I'm throwing it on the ground. I'm trampling over it as something that it was never intended to be. A book to be read and placed on the shelf. So friends, I challenge you. 
Are you in the word? You can see the clear application of this sermon. Get in the Bible. I don't know where to begin. Get with someone who knows the word. Tell them. Let's help each other. Get in a connect group. Get in the word and study it. Get in the connect group today, friends. Join the church. Join a community of people who say, this is the Bible. It's the word of God. It's why I love this. It's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1. All of the promises of God find their yes in him. The whole Bible points to Jesus and collectively we go, yes, we can see him through it all. The Bible's breathed out by God. I love what it says in, in 2 Peter, knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from one's own interpretation. That is to say, from one's own personal opinion. God spoke to imperfect men to bring to us a perfect, perfect message. They were carried on by the Holy Spirit. The Bible claims a thousand times over that it's the word of God. We see 3,800 times in the Old Testament, thus saith the Lord. Even David said, God put his word on my tongue and now I speak it. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, if anyone thinks that he's a prophet, spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are commands from God. Peter, actually, look at this in 2 Peter 3, 16. We won't go there. But um, he classifies all of Paul's writings with the other scriptures. He points to Paul's writings as scripture, as truth from God. That's an amazing thing. The Bible has majestic beauty and profound depth of teaching unmatched by any other book. You know this. It's breathed out by God. It's unmatched. I've never met a person. Here's my challenge. Approach the Bible with humility. Approach it as if it's inspired by God. Every person who approaches the scriptures honestly discovers that it is. And they discover that the entire Bible points to Jesus. It's profitable. We looked at this last week. It's profitable for what? Look, the, the Bible has influenced the course of history more than any other book. And again, you might say that's an understatement. Think about how different our world would be if it weren't for the Bible. Social justice. Every life matters. Think of medicine and, and human rights and forms of government. Care for the poor. Hospitals. Clean water. The value of every life. Scriptures teach us and point us to truth. It has transformed the lives of millions of individuals. And we, we talked about it last week, that verse 16. It's, it teaches us. It, it reproofs us. It shows us where we get off track, convicts us of sin. That's why a lot of us don't want to read the Bible. And then it corrects us, shows us how to get back on the path. And then it shows us, gives us training in righteousness, how to be like Jesus. The entire Bible points us. That's where that arrow goes, points us to Jesus Christ. The entire Bible does this. I love that. And so as I close, I want you to do this. I want you to look at the picture of this lion. I want you to see this lion. I love this lion. This lion reminds me of Aslan, the Christ figure in the Chronicles of Narnia. I just want you to look at this guy. You might say, he is so sweet. I'd love to pet that little guy. He will tear your arm off. Charles Spurgeon said, the word of God is like this lion. You don't have to defend a roaring lion. You just have to let it go. And friends, the Bible, this is true in your personal life. You need to just allow the scriptures to impact your life, to change your heart. You become like Jesus. You need to proclaim the truth of God in your family, in relationships, in your marriage, with your friends. It's an act of faith to believe this truth is going to change the lives of people around me.
We need to share the gospel with people because it's true and it changes lives. It's why Paul says to Timothy right before the verses we looked at today, you stay in it, stay in the game, keep going because you've received this from trustworthy people. And you need to know that you stay the course because you are wise to stay in it because it points you to salvation in Jesus Christ over and over again. The Bible is God's love letter to you, friend. 1 John 4.10, it says, is this, in this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the wrath satisfier, the payment for our sin. If you don't know Him today, I want to just challenge you to receive Christ. Here's the thing. I love my Bible like I love my eyes. Not that they're much to look at, but because through them I can look at everything else. I can see your beautiful faces. I can see the beauty of this day like a springtime day here in Dallas. I love the Bible like I love my ears because I can hear the music that draws my heart to Him. I can hear the words of my precious wife. I can hear the voice of my children. I can hear the kindness of brothers and sisters and love, even encourage, even challenging words. The Bible shows us who Jesus is. And it points us to receive Him and to live for Him so we can follow Him every day. So I want us to pray together. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads. Nobody moving or running out. I want you to just pray. Where are you, friend? The Spirit's convicted your heart today. You're trampling on the Word. Are you throwing it around? Or are you receiving it as the Scriptures from God, His love letter to you? Points you to Him. Friend, if you're here and you've never received Christ, I'm going to just ask you, challenge you, by faith receive Him now. He died on the cross for your sin. He gave His life for you so that you could be forgiven and be set free from all of your failures, all your sin, your mistakes of the past, the present, and the future. He died for all of them. Receive His grace now and determine to live for Him. Lord, we love You. We thank You for Your Word. What a gift You've given to us. May we never dismiss it and may we never Cast it off as something you never intended it to be. May we live it out. May we be a church of people who honor it. So I pray for every person who needs to make a step, make a decision that they do so today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon. Come and join us as we seek to follow Jesus every day. We meet every Sunday at 9.15 a.m. for our small group Bible studies called Connect Groups and 10.45 a.m. for worship. We hope to see you soon at Park City's Baptist Church.